Hello and welcome to the Rare Possessions Podcast. This is chapter 12, and I'm your host, Nick Galetti. With me is Jared Riddick from Book of Mormon Central. Welcome, Jared. Glad to be back again. So chapter 12 is, we could just kind of theme it. It's the, the building the boat chapter. Yep. And this so is the construction montage yeah. of the book. <laughs> That's right. So one of the things that he brings out, uh, Cannon brings out, is that they are in Land Bountiful, which we talked about before. And that they were in a situation where they had a little bit of a break and then Nephi was given a new task to build this boat. What was some of the things that Cannon brought out about the significance of just building a boat? The different reactions perhaps. Uh Laman and Lemuel are not happy, which is not not a, you know, not a surprise. But what are they not happy about? Uh, is it the manual labor? If you watch the cartoon, certainly <laughs> it's about that. Um, and the cartoons are always right. Indeed. You never never have any issues with those. Uh, it's the labor. It's the arrogance of their younger brother, uh, again, trying to elevate himself over them. They've just been in the wilderness for eight years. Uh, they want a break, and they're thinking, okay, this place isn't so bad. We can stick around here for a while. And then all of a sudden, their little brother wants to go sailing, and they are just fit to be tied, and they don't want anything to do with it. And they fall back to their usual methods, which are, you know, uh, mocking and threat of physical violence and actual physical violence. Yeah, don't they try to? They try to want to throw them in the yeah. sea. Yeah, and uh, not a fun day for Nephi. No, but um, the Lord definitely humbles them. Absolutely. As we see, there's been there's been jokes before about Nephi reaching forth his his hand and shocking them, and we have of course the image of the Emperor from Star Wars using Force lightning. <laughs> it probably wasn't like that. As thrilling as that would be for a sci-fi fan like me, it probably wasn't like that. <laughs> especially since that requires the dark side. Exactly. But it humbles Laman and Lemuel to the point that they want to worship their younger brother. And their Nephi's like, no, knock that off. Uh, worship the Lord thy God, honor thy father and mother. Thy days may be long in the land. Yeah, He wants them to do the right thing. He doesn't want to be their leader. He just wants them to act their age, you might say. There has been some questioning of the idea that building a boat was even a thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I believe that a lot of John Sorensen's work has been about this. Transoceanic voyaging. Exactly. So where does the question come from? Where does the doubt come from about the legitimacy of this story? Uh, well, one of the things is a lot of the boats to this point, for most people's knowledge, they're coastal huggers. They're meant not to really leave the site of land. They're just meant to, meant to get you there. And that's still a pretty risky thing. And so for Nephi to build a boat that will not just cross lakes or small seas, but an actual ocean be there on the, on the water over 100 days, uh, that's unusual, especially for somebody assumed like Nephi who doesn't have experience in shipbuilding. Uh, Cannon points that out, that Nephi had no idea how to make the preparations to build a ship. He even went so far as to say that he didn't think Nephi would be skilled with tools. Yeah, and there's been some conflict on that. Uh, a lot of people think that Nephi does have some experience in metallurgy. I mean, he forges the plates. It should be pointed out that he has a steel bow, and he's the fourth-born son. Usually in this family, this culture, uh, the firstborn's going to have the best stuff. It's unusual for the fourthborn son to have something like that. So you could probably actually make the argument that Nephi maybe made his bow. He certainly had the skills to refashion a new one, uh, which is no easy feat, uh, despite what children might think trying to build bows and arrows in their backyard. <laughs> it's much, much harder to build one that can actually have the force to propel an arrow fast enough to kill an animal. Yeah. But he forges these plates. He forges plates. He has the steel bow. And his first question to the Lord is, where might I find ore to molten tools? So that's his first instinct to go is he knows how to do that. And so I, I can't assumption that Nephi wouldn't 
have the abilities there might be overreaching a little bit too far. Well, there's no indication that he's built a boat before. Yeah, there's definitely no indication on the boat, but there's indication that he probably has some experience with tools. He, he's, he, know, he knows how to do some uh, manual work. And there's cer- certainly a confidence that Nephi has with respect to trusting the Lord. He knows that the Lord can show he him how to do this. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's coming up, I mean, it's been eight years at this point, but he has the experience with Laban. He knows the Lord will show him how to do things that uh, he doesn't know how to do. And he, Cannon mentions that directly in the chapter. One of the last things that Cannon brings up is the location of where Nephi is always going to pray, up in the mountains. Mm -hmm. And this is probably the earliest part of the Book of Mormon where we we have this reoccurring theme of prophets and leaders going to the mountains to get Mm -hmm. inspiration. Why is that significant to at least Bountiful? Because they had to have a mountain high enough that he could go to that it could be considered a temple of the Lord. I think I'm not. I'm gonna get the phraseology wrong, but temp, uh, mountains have sometimes been called the poor man's temple. It's where you can go to seek solace with the Lord, have that isolation, and just being alone with Him. Do we have any examples of them finding places like this on their eight-year journey? I want to say no. I well, at least I don't think Nephi really truly relates to anything. Which makes me think but. that this was more significant to him, the ability to have such an intimate connection in a it's sacred a place space to with the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. So that's part of what he's talking about here and, and bringing out as, as a significant. He even goes so far as to, to compare Nephi's experiences to, you know, when the Savior went on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John and talking about how these mountains are, are holy places. What might this mean to the youth of the church at his time? Why, why is he maybe bringing this out, understanding again that this book was written primarily to the youth? Well, they definitely have plenty of mountains here in Utah. Uh, to go to, and probably an encouragement to youth to go and seek out and pray and seek the Lord, and to realize that Nephi was a young man, young adult, like they were, and that they could find the same answers to prayers. So one of the things that I think is a connection to this is the fact that the Salt Lake Temple hadn't yet been finished. It hadn't. So they had Manti and St. George. George. So in maybe some way, this was an encouragement or uh, to keep people interested in, in the Salt Lake Temple being finished. I mean, it's been, see, this 1883. So yeah, it's been over 30 years they've been working on it. I mean, some of them may have started to lose hope a little bit. Maybe. Um, Maybe this was part of their, you know, this was their journey was not a physical ge- geographical journey for them, but a faith journey of staying, staying true and staying connected to the Lord in ways that they may not otherwise have thought were available to them. And Nephi, who had had a temple in Jerusalem, Many of the early saints had had te- the temple available to them in Kirtland and then in Nauvoo, and they are, have now been, quote-unquote, wandering in the wilderness for many years, and they're waiting to have access to their temple again. So this was an oasis in many ways. Indeed. Yeah. All right, so stay tuned for Chapter 12 of The Life of Nephi by George Q. Cannon. Life of Nephi by George Q. Cannon. Chapter 12 After the colony reached the land bountiful, it is noticeable that the practical leadership devolved upon Nephi, and it continued to be so from that time onward. He had grown strong in body, a stalwart, vigorous, energetic, untiring, and undaunted man, but he had also grown in the knowledge and gifts of the Lord. There seemed to be no bounds to his faith. He honored his father Lehi, and still, doubtless, looked to him for counsel. But Lehi was growing in years and was probably not fitted to take upon him the burden of active labor. 
They had now enjoyed a lengthened rest in this charming land, and the time had come for action. It was to Nephi the Lord revealed that which was next to be done. He commanded him to go up into the mountain. When he reached there, he cried unto the Lord. The Lord said unto him, Thou shalt construct a ship after the manner which I shall show thee, that I may carry the people across the waters. This was indeed a formidable undertaking for a man with such an experience as he had. He probably knew but little or nothing about ships or their method of construction or the use of tools, but he manifested neither hesitation nor reluctance about undertaking the labor assigned him. He had no doubts of his ability to accomplish it. He knew, as he had expressed himself, that the Lord gave no commandment without preparing the way by which it should be fulfilled. And had he not told him that he should show him in what manner to build it, the Lord directed him to where he could find the ore out of which to make tools. Then Nephi made a bellows, which was to blow the fire out of the skins of beasts. Fire he obtained by striking two stones together. As we have already remarked, the Lord did not suffer them to make much fire as they traveled. He had promised to make their food sweet, so that they would not need to cook it. He had told them also that he would be their light in the wilderness and would prepare the way before them if they would keep his commandments, and they should be led towards the promised land. They were to know that it was by him they were led. When they should arrive at the promised land, they were to know also that he had brought them out of Jerusalem and had delivered them from destruction. Nephi had no sooner commenced his labors by obtaining ore out of rock and out of that making tools and to make his preparations to build his ship than his brethren began to find fault with and ridicule him. Why, said they, our brother is a fool. Why, said they, our brother is a fool. He has an idea he can build a ship and also cross this ocean of waters. They neither believed he could build a ship, nor that he was instructed of the Lord, and they declined to do any work of that kind. This unbelief and hardness of heart on their part caused Nephi to be very sorrowful. They noticed his sadness, but mistook the cause. They supposed it was because they had discouraged him, and he had become convinced that he could not build a ship. This idea elated them, and with an air of triumph, they taunted him. We knew, said they, that you could not construct a ship, for we knew that you did not have sufficient judgment. You cannot accomplish so great a work. They reproached him with being like their father in being led away by the foolish imaginations of his heart. They recited their imaginary grievances against Lehi for leading them out of Jerusalem and bringing upon them the suffering they and their wives had endured since leaving there. Warming up with their complaints, they said it would have been better for their wives to have died before they left Jerusalem than to have had such afflictions as they had borne. While they were suffering all these hardships in the desert, they might, they said, have been happily enjoying themselves at their home in Jerusalem. As for the people of Jerusalem, notwithstanding their father's condemnation of them, they declared they knew them to be a righteous people, for they kept the statutes and judgments of the Lord, and all his commandments according to the law of Moses. But their father had led them away, because they had hearkened to him. And now here was Nephi, their brother, just like their father. Nephi, according to his custom, when they grumbled and found fault, commenced to reason with and teach them. He cited to them the history of the children of Israel under the leadership of Moses, what the Lord had done, and the mighty works he had enabled Moses to do. He did not spare them in his rebukes. He said they were like the Jews who had sought to take his father's life, 
They also had done the same thing, and they were murderous, he said, in their hearts, and they were like the Jews. Said he, Ye are swift to do iniquity, but slow to remember the Lord your God. He told them they had seen an angel, and he had spoken unto them. They had heard the voice of the Lord from time to time, but they were past feeling. They were hard in their hearts. Nephi felt their conduct so acutely that he told them his soul was rent with anguish because of them, and he feared lest they should be cast off forever. He was so full of the Spirit of the Lord while speaking to them that his frame had no strength. The only effect his words and remonstrances appeared to have had upon them was to enrage them. They went so far as to attempt to throw him into the depths of the sea, but as they advanced toward him for that purpose, he commanded them in the name of the Almighty God not to touch them. For he was so filled with the power of God, even unto the consuming of his flesh, that whosoever should lay his hands upon him should wither even as a dried reed, and he should be as naught before the power of God, for God should smite him. He had so much power on this occasion that they dared not lay their hands upon him, or even touch him with their fingers. They dared not to do so either for many days. The Spirit of God was so powerful, and it wrought upon them in such a way that they dared not do this, for fear they should wither before Nephi. In the meantime, Nephi had told them they must murmur no more against their father, and they must not withhold their labor from himself. The Lord had commanded him to build a ship. If he should command him to do all things, he could do them. Even if he should command him to stay that water, be thou earth. Even if he should command him to say to that water, be thou earth. If he should say so, it would be done. If the Lord has such power, and had wrought so many miracles among the children of men, how is it, he asked, that he could not instruct him how to build a ship? Nephi said many things unto them. The Lord told him to stretch forth his hand again to the brethren, and though they should not wither before him, he would shock them. And this will I do, said the Lord, that they may know that I am the Lord their God. Nephi did so, and the Lord did shake them, as he had and said he would do. This had a great effect upon them. They acknowledged that the Lord was with Nephi, and that it was by the power of the Lord they had been shaken. And they fell down before him, and were about to worship him, but he would not suffer them. He told them he was their younger brother. They should worship the Lord their God, and honor their father and mother, that their days might be long in the land which the Lord their God should give them. Ready to kill him, as they were at one moment, at another they were ready to worship him. Strange inconsistency. But there is no consistency about people when they lose the Spirit of God. No man can tell what he himself will do when he is forsaken by that Spirit, and no one else can form any idea as to what vagaries such a person will indulge in unless it is revealed to him. Some manifestation of power was necessary at that time to subdue these rebellious spirits and bring them into line so that they might assist in the work to be done. We presume that this occurrence made a great impression upon them and that they did not shake off very quickly the remembrance of it, for we are told of no more outbreaks during the building of the ship. One might think that after such an extraordinary manifestation of power as they witnessed through Nephi, it would forever cure them of indulging in such a spirit of rebellion and murder. But as we shall see as we proceed, it did not. Their hearts became so impenetrable to all heavenly influences that the effect upon them of even such a display of power as they had witnessed and felt upon that occasion was not very lasting. 
they had rejected the Spirit of the Lord and had become the servants of that evil one whom they were willing to obey. He had power over them, and they were led and prompted by him. Respecting that evil one, the Savior has said that he was a liar and a murderer from the beginning, and he leads all who yield to him to be as he is. The Lord showed Nephi from time to time how he should work the timbers of the ship. They were timbers of curious workmanship, and his brothers helped in this labor. They were not worked after the manner which was learned by men, neither was the ship built after their style, but it was built by Nephi in the manner shown to him by the Lord. It would, of course, be well adapted for the service required of it. Even Laman and the rest who shared in his dissatisfaction had to acknowledge this, for when the ship was finished and they saw how suitable it was and how fine the workmanship was, they had to admit the truth of that which Nephi had told them, that the Lord could teach him how to build a ship, and they humbled themselves before the Lord. While engaged in this labor, Nephi went often to the mountain and prayed unto the Lord, and great things were shown unto him. It is worthy of remark that men of God frequently availed themselves of mountains as places of worship, to which they could go to pray and commune with him. At such heights and to such men it seems as though the veil between heaven and earth becomes thinner and more easily pierced. The men who have written the most about God and who have communicated his will to their fellows have been men who communed with him in solitary places. By withdrawing to the loneliness of the wilderness or to the mountaintop, away from the haunts and tumult of men, they could there obtain the seclusion necessary for the concentration of faith by which they could draw near to and commune with him undisturbed. Sublime and elevated thoughts are appropriate to such places. In the desert, in the wilderness, and upon mountain peaks, Nature is witnessed in all its simple yet impressive majesty, and its solemn stillness is favorable to thanksgiving and prayer, and man is brought nearer to his Creator. The Savior himself went up into a mountain apart to pray, and brought his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up into a high mountain apart when he was transfigured and had his interview with Moses and Elias. Thank you for listening to the Rare Possessions podcast from the archives of Book of Mormon Central. For the latest information on additions to the Book of Mormon Central archive, or to inquire about archive items like this one, visit us online at archive.bookofmormoncentral.org.